0: Well, hello, King's Church. Thank you so much for joining us today, wherever you are, whether that's in the Atlantic Canada region where our kind of hubs are located or our growing family around the nation, around North America and even around the world. Uh, Glad you're tuning in today and connecting with us as one people under God, under the name of Jesus. And today I'm excited to, to kind of shift gears over the last few weeks. I hope you've enjoyed And I hope you felt just uh, empowered and encouraged by the good news collection of teachings that we've done, just outlining and clarifying the good news of Jesus. And if you missed that, I'd encourage you sometime this week to to start going back and checking out the the reason that we have so much hope and that the good news of Jesus really is incredible news. But today, I want to kind of set that aside for a moment. I think in the coming weeks, I'm going to do a couple bonus episodes of that that teaching series. But today, I want to set that aside. I just want to speak to you, not just from the head or from the heart, but kind of from my gut and even from the hip a little bit. If I can do that and just have a bit of a pastor's chat with us today. As as we are now, can you believe it, three months into the corona crisis, it has been three months since our lives all changed, since school stopped and the economy shifted and and health tragedies started to unfold. And and it's been three months since we as a church, many of us have ever, have stepped foot in a gathering. So three months since a lot of us have seen one another and I want to say first and foremost, church family, I miss you. I've been able to bump into some of you here and there out in the community as restrictions have kind of loosened up, and it's just to see you guys is just, I miss you. I know you guys miss one another, and it's been three challenging, difficult months, and I want to speak to to not just where we're at and what God is saying, but even maybe to where we're going and That's actually running in step with what we do this time of year every year. We take a minute, uh, usually the start of June, and we have what we call Vision Weekend, where we look back over the previous 12 months and we celebrate all that God has done. And and then we look forward to where we're going next. And today I'm really not going to do just long-term vision, and we're not going to spend a lot of time you know, celebrating what was a great year of ministry at our church. And it does warrant being said that, you know, we saw a record amount of decisions, people following Jesus for the first time, hundreds of people in the last 12 months through this ministry have decided to follow Jesus. That's worth celebrating. We've seen a record amount of baptisms. In fact, we only did two baptisms in the run of seven weeks over the last year And in those seven weeks, 152 people went public with their faith. I'm celebrating that today. We had our largest love week in our history this past year. We saw more people attending every weekend than we ever have in our history as a church. I mean, amazing things we're celebrating. The largest Christmas gatherings we've ever put on. I mean, record after record after record, even our finances are in record shape I mean, God has been so good, and this year has been so fruitful and so incredible, and that's worth celebrating. But today, if it's not really a great time to just sort of bask in the successes of the past year, this really isn't a time to say mission accomplished. In fact, we're in a season that I would say we would all call a wilderness season. One word that we could use to describe this past three months would be wild. It's been wild. It's been difficult. It's been so challenging. It really has been a wilderness season. And I want to just speak to our church about just what God is showing me in these th- three months and what He's been putting on my heart. I just want to share from the heart today some things that, are, that God's put there that I, I think is important to you. And it's going to start with, with a confession that's frankly hard for me to make, um, I'm a person that, you know what, I, I began my ministry eight years ago in crisis. In fact, I've had great success leading our church through several crises, and, and we've we've just always seemed to be able to make good moves, and, and with myself and the Holy Spirit's guidance and the team he's put around, me, we've been able to make good decisions on where we're going and, and making right decisions. But I, I want to make a confession today as your leader, and I want to tell you honestly that I have never in my eight years of leading this church felt like I've known less. I've never had more question marks. I've never had a greater degree of uncertainty in my time as a leader than I do right now. There is just so much I don't know. There is so much I don't know. So many questions that I can't answer. I don't know when the pandemic's going to come to an end and I don't know at what cost. I don't know when the economy is going to shift or rebound or how it will or what it's going to look like. I don't know all the implications on the church in this season. There's just so much I don't know. But I want to say this, and today's not going to be a pity party. It's going to be about encouragement. I want to say that in the uncertainty and in the wilderness and in this season that we are are in, and with my uncertainty and unanswered questions at an all-time high, I want to say this. That God is making me more certain of certain things. And these things that he's making me certain of have the power and are beginning to override all of my unanswered questions. That in fact, I stand here today and I would say this, that there is more that I don't know than I do know. But what I do know is greater than what I don't know. Some like, say what? Let me say that again. There is more today that I don't know than I do know. But what I do know is greater than what I don't know. I'll leave that with you and I'm gonna unpack it. Here's the title of my message today. The title of my message is this I don't know, but I know. I don't know, but I know. I wanna give you three things that I don't know, but I know. And this is going to speak to us as a church today. And here's the first thing. You can write these things down. This is stuff that the Lord's been just putting on my heart and my mind, and I've been sifting through these things over the past few months that I want to share with you today. And the first is this. I don't know when this will all come to an end, this season, this wild wilderness season. I don't know when it's going to come to an end, but here's what I know, and it's greater than what I don't know. I don't know when it's going to come to an end, but I know that God is faithful I am convinced more than I ever have been in my whole life as uncertainty has risen in a multitude of ways. My certainty in the faithfulness of God is at an all-time high. I have seen him go before us like never before in my life. Here's what I know to be true. If you find yourself in the wild like we are right now, we are in the wild. What I know is this, that we are in great company. We are in good company historically, biblically, And literally, we are in God's company. God's activity is at an all-time height when we are often at our lowest moments. And I have seen that to be true, that God is faithful. And there's a few reasons I want to highlight for you why I believe that God is faithful. The first reason is this. I believe that God is faithful because I know that in the wild, God goes before us. He goes before us. That he actually has gone ahead of us, setting it up. That it's him that leads us into the wild. It's him that leads us into the wilderness. Now, don't don't get lost on that. And I don't want to set up. We'll have the conversation about you know why do bad things happen to good people and why does God lead us into suffering and how's all. We'll talk about that later. But I don't want you to miss this fact that it is God that leads us into these times. And that should speak to something that encourages the depths of our hearts if you're a believer in our God. That He, in fact, is setting the path. He is setting the way and setting us up day by day. He's clearing the way for us to go through the wilderness. That's what He does. He's a way maker. He actually prepares the path for us to move through the the woods and the wilderness. The Bible tells us this. The Bible says that God leads his people through these times. It tells us in Deuteronomy how God led Israel. It was the Lord. Look, remember how the Lord your God led you through these 40 years in the wilderness, that God led them through the wilderness. It, it wasn't. They didn't stumble into the wild. And, and I want to encourage you today, if you're following Jesus, look, there are times in our lives, full disclosure, I've done it too, we make stupid decisions and we bring on destruction upon ourselves. It was our own fault. Can I get an amen in the comments? You know what I'm saying. We've all been there. We've done dumb stuff, and we had to reap the consequences. Look, coronavirus is nothing that we did. It's nothing that we brought upon ourselves. You were going about your business, so was I, and then this happened to us. But here's the good news, and here's what the Bible tells us, that it's actually God who goes before us in these seasons. He leads us into these times, that he doesn't abandon us, and we don't stumble into these circumstances. That God himself leads us. And look at this. It's not just God's people. He demonstrated this with his own son. Remember in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And there's this great picture where the heavens open and the Holy Spirit, who we talked about last week. I hope you catch that message. Go back and watch it. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. And then it says that the the voice of the Lord rung out and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the very next verse says, Then Jesus, not accidentally found himself, not stumbled into, not was led by his friends, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. That when you follow God, he will lead you, he will go before you into these wilderness seasons. And that should encourage you. That should encourage you because why? It tells us that if God has gone before us, that he has prepared the way. That he not only knows the way and is making the way, but he's prepared it. And he's set us up step by step, little by little. That's how he leads us in these times. This is what the Bible tells us. This is why Isaiah says in Isaiah 43, he says that God, God speaking, I will even make a way in the wilderness. I will make a way where there is no way. I'll bring streams in the wasteland, he says. This is what David meant in Psalm 23 about God's leadership on his life. The good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He says that even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me, you lead the way. He says that your rod and your staff, they comfort me, they guide me. That you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup even overflows, even in the wilderness. And he draws this great conclusion. He says, surely, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because I'm following him. And if I'm following him, goodness and mercy are following me. See, I'm confident that God is faithful because God goes before us. And look, I would love to sit here and tell you the testimonies in my own life and in the life of King's Church about how he's gone before us in this season. I think of my own life, going into, I'll, I'll full disclosure, this is one of the hardest three-month, four-month stretches I've ever gone through. And I want to just look back, though, and I look at the months leading in, wisdom and conversations I had with mentors that set me up for this breaks and relief that god gave me a vacation i got to take with my wife out of nowhere and we got to take our kids on a little little getaway before the chaos hit i look back on that and like god thank you for your provision that you set me up to be able to go through this time and i suspect if you go back and you look strategically and objectively at your window you'll see lots of little little ways that the holy spirit that god has gone before you and set you up with with step-by-step leadership through these times he did it for our church I think about the fact that we made staffing shifts to set us up for this, to be able to to go through this season in strength, and we are. I think about the fact that last fall, so many of you gave in faith. One of the things that we said last fall when we did our Seeds Vision campaign was that we felt that God wanted us to take the digital platform seriously. Right? Right? as all thousands of you right now are watching online. Look, we wouldn't have been able to do this like we're doing it if last fall we didn't feel compelled to give and we didn't make significant investments in our ability to be able to capture and broadcast digital streaming. God goes before us, doesn't he? So many ways I could tell you, and I suspect you could too, I know, there's so much I don't know, but I know that God is faithful. Why I look back and I see all the ways that He's been faithful every step of the way, it gives me confidence knowing He will be tomorrow. He's not only faithful, but I believe this, that God provides daily for us. It's not only that He's faithful to go before us, but even daily, He provides little pockets of grace, little treasures of provision that help us get through day by day. This is why he promised in Deuteronomy, he said, as your days are, so your strength will be. This is why he said to Paul, he said that my grace is sufficient for you. I will give you what you need. He said that, you know what? You're not gonna be led into anything uncommon and I'm not gonna break you, but I'm gonna give you sufficient grace to stand up under the weight of the pressure. And God has been doing that. And I'm confident that he'll do that. This is what he told the, the Israelites. This is what he did for the Israelites. Do you remember in the Old Testament, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God, in Jesus' name, this will not be 40 years. But they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And God supplied them food in the desert. He actually gave them supernatural food called manna. Look, he said that he caused you to hunger and then he fed you with manna. Manna actually translates in the Hebrew, what is it? It's this unknown substance. They described it as this little white flaky substance that was kind of like heavenly bread. They called it angel food. And the Bible says that God supplied them with daily bread. And then Jesus later on in Matthew 4 when he's being tempted by the devil and the devil is calling into question his identity. He said, if you are the son of man, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus being the son of man, the true bread from heaven provided from God for all of us to feast from, what did he say? He said, I don't, don't, look, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God has gotten us through, hasn't it? I've, I've talked to hundreds of you You've emailed me. You've texted me. I've talked to some of you on the phone. I've had direct messages and then I've, I've bumped into some of you. I've had hundreds of you say, the word of God is getting me through this season. Thank you for those sermons. Thank you, church, for broadcasting every week. This is getting me through. And some of you could testify to it right now that the word is the, it's the thing that I need. And I want, to, I want to encourage some of you who are feeling maybe temptation, like, eh, I don't want to have to watch another weekend or I'll get to it when I get to it. Do not sleep on the fact that you need daily bread. Do not sleep on the fact that you need daily bread. Don't miss Sunday. Don't miss these sermons. They're getting us through. They're those daily provisions. And here's the good news. God will provide the daily bread we need until we get through the wilderness. He just will. Until we get to the land of plenty, He provides the manna in the wilderness. I was reminded of this last Sunday. I was on, a, I was on a, a prayer call before our services. Did you know that on Sunday mornings before our first stream, we have a group of people call through Zoom and agree together that God's going to speak to you through this platform? And I was on that call last week, and Pastor Dan let out. I was literally on the phone walking my dog, and Pastor Dan let out. He said, look, I feel like we're supposed to pray for confidence in God's provision, what he didn't know that the moment that he started praying, I came around a corner, and the sun was just kind of coming up. There was still dew on the ground, and I came around this corner, and there were thousands of little like I, I, I don't think they were spider webs. I think they were actually like cocoons or things that like uh, caterpillars had made. I don't know what they were, but there were thousands of white little little webbings all over the ground on top of the dew. And the Bible says that actually man didn't sit on the ground, it sat on the dew. And I I saw this, I came around the corner, I was actually wrestling with God, like, God, are we gonna make it? Are we gonna do this? And I came around the corner, as Dan said, we need to trust God's provision. And literally I could see thousands of little white flakes in God saying, don't I provide? Don't I provide? I'll provide for you. And I wanna encourage someone, you feel like there's not enough, look, God will give you just enough. You know what it's not when 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 Jesus was in the wilderness when the Israelites marched in the wilderness they weren't in an oasis it wasn't abundance. And these wilderness seasons, it's slim pickings. It's hard. It's raw. But God will give you enough if you will trust him for daily bread. I don't know when this will end. I don't know when it's going to stop. I don't know how long it's going to take. But I know this. God is faithful to provide, to, pr- to prepare a way, and to supply us until we get to the land of plenty. Say amen if you believe it in the comments. I believe this to be true. That's what's on my gut. Here's another thing that's on my gut. It's on my heart today. I don't know when it will happen, but I know revival is coming. I don't know the moment, I don't know the time, but I know it is coming. We are on the precipice of a global, massive Move of the spirit that is going to blow over this whole planet in a way where you are going to see millions of people, maybe billions of people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation move from darkness to life, bondage to freedom, from aliens to the people of God. It's going to happen. We are right on the cusp of it. I believe it. I'm going to see it with my own eyes. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I believe we are on the verge of a seismic shift on the earth. Lost souls in vast numbers coming into the kingdom of God. Could it be an end time harvest? I don't know, but I know this: it's going to be history shaking and destiny altering. I don't know when it's going to come, but I I I, I know I know revival is coming. I feel it in my gut, in my bones, in my heart, in my mind. But here's the thing: I know some of you do too. But we aren't basing this on feelings. I'm not even basing what I know on how I feel because, look, I've felt certain things and been very wrong. I've been very sincere about some things in my lifetime and been very, very wrong about it. So we're not basing it on what we feel. Our confidence is grounded today in a few facts. Fact number one is this. When it comes to this revival that's coming, the first thing that makes me believe that there's revival coming is that there is purpose in crushing that we're going through a crushing season right now. There is a purpose in the crushing. I don't have to explain to you. 2020, am I right? 2020, like, what the—fill it in, whatever you want to say. Like, just month after month, it just keeps getting wilder, doesn't it? Like, it's it just, there's, there's tragedy happen, high profile deaths that hurt us all. Like if you're a basketball fan, Kobe Bryant dies like that. That was bad for some of us. And then it just, that was just like, that was nothing. Then coronavirus happens. The, cra- the stock market crashes. People start to die. Just wave right across the whole earth. People losing their jobs, people losing their businesses. And then don't, don't, don't we send in the murder hornets? Like What? And now, to top it off, we have one of the most brutal racial crimes we have ever seen in public, and people are so hurt. There's rioting in the streets, not just peaceful protests, but riots, and there's looting, and it's just chaos. There's political division. It is wild. It is crushing, isn't it? The weight of it is crushing. But here's what I know to be true. The crushing leads to new wine that it's actually in the crushing that God produces the best fruit. It's in the crushing that it actually gives birth. It's it's through the labor pains that comes the new baby. I, I think it's amazing just this week, three of my friends had brand new babies. That's a sign to me. It's in the labor. It's in the crushing. It's in the pain. It's in the drawback that God sends us out. It's in the press down that we get launched up. That's how the kingdom works. My confidence is in the fact that I know there's purpose in the pain, that God never wastes it. God doesn't take things away for us just to take, God only takes things that will take things from us. God removes things so that He can give what is greater. He leads us from glory to glory, strength to strength. And that's what he's doing in this season. He's shifting us from loss to gain. It's coming. From the crushing into new wine. From death into life. He purposes our pain. Read your Bible, 1 Peter, James 1, Hebrews 12, Galatians 6, he, uh, Revelation chapter 3. It tells us if you are faithful to stand the test, you will bear the crown of righteousness. If you don't grow weary and, and give up and lose heart, that you will actually hold the harvest of righteousness. This is the promise. There is a purpose in the crushing. I'm confident revival's coming because there is a purpose in the crushing. I'm also confident because there's clouds forming. There are signs. We're seeing it. And you don't have to be a meteorologist to start seeing the signs when a storm is coming. When the clouds grow dark and the the air pressure drops, you start to know, oh, it's going to rain. And look, if you go back, and I'd love to encourage some of you, maybe you're new to our church, go back and listen to what we were preaching about in August and September of last year, talking about God calling us to contend and pray for revival. We had that on our heart. We asked for it. We even taught about the fact that revival always follows these signs. The cloud, like a, like a man's hand Elijah saw until the rain clouds formed and the great, the great provision came that broke the drought. It's these signs that we see. We we can't make it rain, but we can recognize the signs. And there are incredible signs right now that we are on the verge of a great tide of God's kingdom coming in, that the rain of God's kingdom is going to start pouring itself out on the earth. There are black clouds that have formed, black clouds in our culture, black clouds in the economy, black clouds in people's health. There's, there's the clouds of despair and anxiety and suicide and depression and brokenness and addiction. And yet through the clouds has come in the rain and I'm believing it. I've never been more convinced that it's about to rain. It's about to rain, heaven's rain. It's about to rain, R-A-I-N, heaven's rain, R-E-I-G-E-N. I've never been more convinced that it's gonna rain. I've never been more convinced that what the world needs right now is it needs the rain of heaven. It needs the rain of heaven. It needs heaven's rain so that peace can rain, so that power can rain, so that truth can reign so that health can reign, so that life can reign, so that justice can reign. There are clouds forming. Do you see it? Like, I don't, I don't just sense it. I, I sense the drop in pressure, but I see the signs in culture. I know the patterns. Every great revival, every great awakening, every great move of the Spirit on the earth has always been preceded by these signs, every single one of them. It's about to rain, heaven's rain. It's about to rain, heaven's rain. And the third reason I believe revival is coming, not just because I know there's a purpose in crushing and God won't waste it, and I can see the signs of it. I hope you can too. Open your eyes. Lift them up. Don't just get focused on what's going on in front of you. Don't just get focusing on your bank account or your worries or your anxieties or your health. Look at the bigger picture. God is about to unleash the reign of heaven on this earth. But we're also claiming the promise of what God had already told us. I want you to recognize today that that some of the things that are happening, although we didn't realize what this meant at the time, God gave us full forewarning. In, In January of 2020, we always start 2020 seeking God for a word. We always do 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. And we did it again this year. And we sought the Lord for a fresh word. What are you saying to our church? Did you want us to perk up, listen up, and hold to, and agree with? And here here were the words that God gave us for 2020. He told us that it was going to be a year of revelation. That this year we are going to see some things that we've never seen. Not just about God, but even before our own eyes. That it's going to be a year of revelation. We also were told that it was going to be a year of refinement say what? Yes, that is happening, isn't it? It, It's a year of pressure. It's a year of heat. It's a year of difficulty, but it's leading to transformation and purification. Hang on to that. We also were told that it's going to be a year for persistence. Not a year of persistence, but a year for persistence. And that God was calling us to press through and endure, realizing that breakthrough is on the other side of the one who can resist and persist. And God told us that it was going to be a year of overflow. That was promised about this year that if we are good stewards of what we're going through and good stewards of what he's placed in our hands, even if it's a trial, that abundance is coming. And we are told this year was gonna be a year of overcoming, of triumph and in victory. Here's what I said, that I felt the Lord was saying, that we were going to stand over some things that long stood over us. That the things that stood over us and pressed us down and plagued us that we were going to stand over those things this year. So I I don't know when this is going to end. I don't know when it's going to stop. I don't know when it's going to come. But I know this, revival is coming because I see the signs, because God won't waste it. And I know this, I know what he said. I know what he said, he already told us. So we're just hanging on to that word he gave us, that bread, that life, that rhema word. We're holding on for dear life because we know revival is coming. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. We got to endure. I don't know when, but I know revival's coming. Here's my last thought. And it has to do with what's next for us as the church. The thought is this. I don't know if some churches are ready. But I know the church, the church of Jesus Christ will endure. You know, when I read my Bible, I read this and I I see in Revelation chapter seven, there will be a great and glorious church. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation gathered around the redeemed of the Lord saying so before the lamb that was slain that we are part of that. The church of Jesus Christ, the gates of hell will not prevail. It will stand. It will endure. We are part of that. But here's the question. I don't know if some churches are ready for what's about to happen. Not just for the next few months of COVID crisis, but I mean for revival. I mean, are, are you built for increase? Are we built for increase? How many of you know, you know, with, with, with more, there's more, you know, Revival is going to come at a cost. It's going to come with a burden. That fruitfulness comes with a burden. And my question is, are we built for revival? I've been asking a couple of things. A couple, I've had a couple of thoughts in this season. And today, I just really want to plant a seed that over the next few months, we're going to water, and I believe we're going to see it grow into something transformative for us. But I've been thinking about the, these facts that, you know, new days require new ways, and and new wine requires what? New wineskins. New battles are fought with new weapons. And here's the hard truth about this season we're in, the hard truth about coronavirus is that the coronavirus, we have found out, in all that we don't know, what we do know is this, and I know there are exceptions to the rules, don't at me, but by and large, here's the truth. Coronavirus is most risky for those who have underlying conditions. That, that people who have underlying conditions are high risk. If you have, some, uh, if you have something in your body that, that causes your ability to fight it off, if your health isn't in the place where you are, your immunity is strong enough to fight this thing off, you are at higher risk than the person who is otherwise healthy. And I've been thinking about it. It's not just that people's bodies are at greater risk when you have underlying conditions, but businesses are at greater risk when there are underlying conditions. Look at the retail market. The retail market was struggling before, and now there's, this, is, this is a tough time. But I also believe that the body of Christ, those churches that have underlying conditions, are at high risk. And I have an unpopular opinion I want to share that there will be many churches and denominations and, 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 you know what, good, God-fearing people, that their church will close their doors permanently. Not that church. The church is, church is always open, always will be. But there are churches and denominations that I believe will not recover from this. It might be sooner than later. This might just be the beginning of the end. But I know this to be true because not just because I understand maybe how the church works, but what happens in in the wilderness, what happens in the wilderness is that that God will allow what needs to die to stay there, to die in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place where things that are vulnerable, weak, they die. If you know the story of the people of Israel, there was a generation with pre-existing conditions The Bible says they they wandered for 40 years because there was a generation that had a sickness. They were grumblers, they were ungrateful, they lacked courage and faith. And so God let that whole generation die off until a new generation came in that were willing to embrace a new season and a new day with new wineskins and new leadership that they stepped into the Promised Land. This is what happens in the wilderness. And so the questions I've been asking are, are we built for revival? Are we built for what's next as a church? And, and, and if, if, if not, which I don't think we totally are. And so the question I wanna, I've been asking myself is, what steps do we need to take? What needs to be left in this season? What needs to die? What needs to stay in the wilderness? And how do we need to change and be transformed into the church that God dreams about? What do we need to do? What does a new wineskin look like for us as a church? What is optimal? And more importantly, what is biblical? How do we arrange ourselves for that? These are the questions I've been asking. I've been asking myself the question: what's what's optimal to get through COVID? You know, how do we as a church become COVID-proof? You know, we we've done really well so far. And I hope don't tune out, this is really important. We've done really well so far as a church. By God's grace, we've been able to adapt, or I'll use the popular word pivot. We've been able to pivot as a church to be able to do this online every week. We've been able to recover. In fact, by basically every metric, our church has grown. Praise God. We're going to continue to do what we've been doing as long as these restrictions are still upon us and we can't meet with hundreds of people in a room. We're going to continue to provide these services online like we are right now. We're going to start to do outdoor services coming in the summer. We're going to do these drive-in services try to do anything we can to connect as the body of Christ because it's critical, isn't it? We're going to do digital kids camp. We're going to have watch parties and encourage you to gather together in smaller groups and cells and smaller cellular groups. We're going to encourage discussion groups and community groups. We're going to be doing cool things with our youth. We're going to do Alpha Youth this summer. We're also going to be doing, the guys are going to be doing portable drive-by graduations. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be amazing. We're doing whatever we can right now. But here's the deal. It's not enough. It's not enough for eight months. It's not enough for 10 months. It's not enough for 12 months. It's not enough to be healthy through COVID. But more than that, I don't know that if that's it's enough to be the church that our grandkids need or the church that our great great grandkids need. We right now have a window in the wilderness to set ourselves up to set up legacy, to set up the next season. And it's on us. Like, will we do it? Or will we be like the group of people who in the wilderness grumbled until they died? And I unfortunately think this is going to be a pruning season. God is pruning his church, and there will be branches that don't make it. The ones that make it learn to stand unified in Christ and letting go of anything else that's not necessary. And so I've been asking the question, and we've been asking the question, as a leadership team, you know, how do we set ourselves up to go, not just for the next 12 months so that we're healthy and strong and bearing the image of Christ and the glory of Christ, but how do we go beyond that to be revival ready, to be our grandkids church, to be heaven's church, to be the bride of Christ, spotless. How do we set ourselves up for that vision? And so, of course, as a group of leaders, we went back to the Bible. And you know what? The Bible doesn't give us specifics but it gives us the things that we need to be able to run with the the values the foundations and so we look back at the back to the bible and i want to we're going to be launching something we're calling the 246 reformation and this represents a seismic shift in the foundation of our, our us as a church This represents a foundational shift that we've taken right out of Acts chapter 2. I want to read Acts 2 to us. I'm going to be done in just a minute, but this is important. I want to read out of Acts chapter 2 for a minute and and show you what we've been considering and how we are going to shift our ministry, not just to be COVID healthy, but revival ready. And here it is. Let's let's read it. This is what happens right after the Holy Spirit fell. So if you are with us last week, You saw Pentecost happens. Holy Spirit falls upon the church. They spoke in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We talked about that. Then right after that, they they leave the upper room. Peter goes out into the street and he starts proclaiming the gospel to everyone who could hear. This is day one of the church. Now watch this. It says, with many other words, Peter spoke long sermons, y'all. So if you feel like this is getting long, you know what? It's biblical. With many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message, watch this. Those who accepted his message were baptized. They were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Day one, the church was a mega church. Day one, there were 3,000 people. It was a large church, day one. So don't let anyone tell you, I know there's people that tell you, you know what, big church is bad. No, it's not. It's biblical. And in fact, the Revelation 7 church is a very big church, a multitude that no one could number or count. So get used to being a big church. And let me just preach for a second. There's something that can only happen when there's a multitude of people unified under Christ. So day one, 3,000 people, and then look what it says. So there's 3,000 people. This is a 3,000 person church and it gives us the model or the methodology for how they walk this out and express their new faith. Look at it. And this is what we've been thinking about. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. That's everything right there. I'm going to talk about that in a second. They sat under the authority of the apostles' teaching, the authority of the word, what you're doing right now. It's biblical. Submitting yourself to a pastor, to an authoritative word that is biblical. There's, there's no lone rangers in the, in the family of God. We all are under authority. And then it says this. Everyone was filled with awe and wonder at the many, the many signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now watch this. This is where we get the 46, the 246 Reformation. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So they assembled as a mass gathering in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together. They assembled in their homes. They, they gathered together in the home, breaking bread and ate together with glad and, con- and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's the model right there. There's the 246 model. They sat under the apostles' teaching And they broke bread together and they went to the temple together. So we've been thinking about our church. We've been thinking about it. And here's what I've taken from this season. We as a church, we celebrate where we aren't looking back on the past season and saying, oh, we were so wrong. But what we have realized is this. We have been too Sunday-centric. We have tried to accomplish the walk of the Christian life By having Sunday service, Sunday service, Sunday service. Come to church, get disciple. Come to church, hear an evangelistic sermon. The pastor will lead your friends to Jesus. Come to church and get equipped. Come to church, we'll train your kids. Come to church, experience worship and glory. Those things are all true and that's all great, but the church was made to be much more dynamic than just going to church once a week. And we've learned in this season and as we look forward to this next season, And as coronavirus kind of continues upon us, we have learned that we are far too Sunday reliant and that we are seeking to actually step forward into a more optimal and more biblical expression of what the church looks like. And it looks like this. The church was never meant to just rest upon Sunday service, but the church was made to stand on two legs in the Christian life. Leg number one, They went to the temple together, the large assembly. Leg number two, they gathered in the home together. They broke bread together and enjoyed community together. This is what we find right in the beginning of the book of Acts. I want to highlight it for you so so that we get it. It says that they did Sunday service. It tells us that the church was a mega church, that there were 3,000 added to their number. They met in the temple. What was that? It was a central site where they physically went. They stood together in unity as a large mass assembly. This is biblical. It tells us they sat up under under the apostles' teaching. It tells us that there was corporate. This is the place of corporate worship where the people of God would not only hear the teaching of God, but they would also minister to God. That's what the temple was. It was an exchange where God would minister to the people and they would minister to God. That was the design. It's this clear, this clear picture of Sunday service. It's biblical, and we're not letting that go. I can't wait for the day where we get to gather face-to-face, to face to face, hundreds of us at once. I cannot wait. I'm missing it. I know you are too. There are some things that only happen when we gather together, aren't there? And that's not going away. But what we find when we look at this is we also find that the first church wasn't just mega, but it was micro. It wasn't just a large assembly, but it was small community. And if I can just be honest for a moment and tell you, our big problem as a big church has been this right here it is far too easy to come to King's church and stand in the crowd and not be a part of King's church. That's stopping. We are going to shift where we take the home church seriously. They gathered around the table in their homes together. They broke bread. They did the Christianity stuff they prayed for one another. They saw the Holy Spirit move in their midst. They took communion. This was something they did in small cellular groups together, living the Christian life out in community. It was home gatherings. It was communal fellowship. And this is the picture we get when we read our Bibles. Look, some of us for too long have been standing on one leg We have been been trying to do Sunday service and, you know, just every Sunday, hopping through life on one leg, trying to make it, trying to have strength, but it's way too easy to get knocked off balance. God meant for the expression of the Christian life, the rhythm of the Christian life to happen in step. Sunday service, weekly community, Sunday service, the temple, the table, the temple, the table, the temple, the table, and some of us are missing out. You know what? There's been a great group of people, a lot of people, have figured this out in part. They've looked at the large church expression. They said, that's not, there's gotta be more. I don't know anybody. And so what they do is, they throw the large church away and they go start a house church. But what they find in the house church is they're missing something. That's because now they're hopping on the left leg. And same thing, you get knocked off balance. How many people do you know that have gone and started the house church that that house church flames out and so do their lives? Facts, don't at me. It's, it's, I've seen it hundreds of times. That's because Christians were meant to follow Jesus in community and as an assembly, at the temple and at the table, right leg, left leg. This is what we were made to stand on. And this is what we're gonna do as a church. We, over the next few months, are going to start making moves to, look, Sunday service isn't going away. In fact, it's coming back. But we're using this time. We hear the wisdom of the Spirit telling us, that we need to make home churches, that we need to make churches that meet in the home. You can no longer afford to be part of the assembly but not have community. You can no longer afford to stand at a distance. You need people, and how many of you feel it now? That's what we found, isn't it? You're not missing me, you get me every week, you get the apostles teaching. We're missing each other. We're missing the power and the strength of the body of Christ with each other, and this has made me take notice that we need home church. And so our church is going to be formed around these two central ideas, that if you're going to be part of this church, you're going to set up a rhythm of your life, of attending the mega Sunday service, the big gathering. But you're going to have a group of people around you that know your name, and they know what you're going through, and they know the burdens you carry and they know the pain that you're in, and they know how to pray for you, and they know how to celebrate your daughter's graduation. They know the things about your life. That's the church we were meant to share in fellowship, and so that's what we're doing as a church, and this is what I'm excited about. God has shifted us. There has been a shift, and it's happening, and it's going to unfold over the next several months, and we're going we're to see it happen, But we are shifting to two legs. The home church and Sunday service is gonna be the basis that everything else is built on. Are we still gonna have CR? Yes, of course. Are we still gonna have prayer ministry? Yes, of course. But this is the rhythm. This is the basis. This is the the groundwork that we're gonna set things up on into the future. And I believe That is the church Jesus set up and I believe that it is not only COVID proof, but it is revival ready. We can no longer rely on going to church on Sunday. This is the day, this is the time that we step up and stand up and be the church every day. This is what we're doing. I'm confident of this. I'm gonna pray for us. I'm confident of this. The church that in Christ stands together, stands forever these will be the churches that survive COVID and thrive in revival. And I want to be part of that number. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in all circumstances. We thank you for this season. God, I thank you for the encouragement you've given us today and the direction you've given us today. And I pray for every person. Under the sound of my voice, first and foremost, I pray right now that even though we don't know when it's going to end, we know that you're going to be faithful in this season. Lord, I pray right now for a deposit of faithfulness in the heart of everyone hearing my voice right now. Would they know that you'll never leave us or forsake us? Would they know that you'll make a way where there is no way? You'll lead us by still waters that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life, even in this season and unto the next. God, I pray for encouragement right now. Lord, I pray for optimism, excitement, and anticipation. Lord, that you would establish it in our hearts and our minds. Lord, if the coronavirus has robbed any of our expectancy, Lord, return it right now. Will we look and say, I don't know when it's going to happen, but revival is coming. I see the clouds. I know there's crushing happening. There's wine pouring out. Wine is being made. Will we see it? Lord, I pray for encouragement right now for everyone listening. God, I pray right now you give us the courage to step forward, to leave the wilderness behind, to step out of old wineskins into new wineskins. Jesus, thank you for wisdom. Thank you that your church will endure. And Lord, thank you for how you're leading us to be a part of that number. God, I pray for us in these coming days and weeks. Lord, we pray an end to the coronavirus. We pray a beginning to revival. But Lord, we just want to confess our trust in you in the meantime. We love you. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing. We receive it, Lord. We receive your correction. We receive your transformation. We receive the alterations that need to happen in us. And we trust that it's unto more life in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks, church. Love you.